This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We are coming to you from 2SER in Sydney, on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Marlene Even. You often hear people talking about how Twitter is dumpster fire, but normally they're talking about their feeds. However, recently Twitter itself has been the dumpster fire and it's all due to one man, Elon Musk. The social media site switched hands from being a publicly listed company to one owned by a small group led by billionaire Elon Musk. Musk paid $44 billion US to, as he said, protect free speech. A hefty sum of money for Musk to pay for the site, but for one group in particular, the service site provides a platform for thought and expression. The group possibly mourning the demise of the platform the most are journalists. Many of the most popular users are journalists, and they were the earliest adopters of the platform and helped build its success. In this episode, we will discuss how the social media site has shaped the industry and where do journalists go now with a Musk-owned Twitter. To discuss all this and more, I am joined by Cam Wilson, the associate editor with Crikey. Welcome to Fourth Estate. Hi, good to be here. And I'm also joined by Ariel Bogle, technology reporter with ABC's Radio National. Welcome, Ariel. Hi, thanks for having me. Now let's jump straight in. Do you think we're currently witnessing the end of Twitter? I do think we are witnessing the end of Twitter. What we're seeing is, you know, someone's bought this company um, they have certain debt obligations, which means that they've had to make some pretty drastic changes to the staffing in the company. Um, and on top of that, there's obviously um, Elon Musk's ideological approach to it. And so what we're kind of seeing is both the technical side uh, changing, we're seeing some of the features changing, all that coming together to say, you know, Maybe the actual, I mean, I'm sure users will continue to use the app for a while in the same way that, you know, MySpace continued years on. But I think that we're definitely going to look back at the last few months and say this was, at the very least, the beginning of the end for Twitter as we have known it. It's very bleak. Ariel, what are your thoughts? I mean, probably about the same. I mean, it's it's really hard to see how things can go on um, as they were before, given the cuts, the deep cuts at Twitter, as Cam's mentioned. I mean, there just seems to be, even just from an engineering perspective, a lot of people have lost their jobs. So I do wonder about the basic functionality of the app. I mean, the people have already found plenty of bugs. So I wonder if we'll just wake up one morning and the service will have gone down. I guess, I guess we're going to find out. But even um, if they do manage to keep the site online, Elon Musk's vision for the site remains a pretty confused one. We've even seen this week that he wants people to uh, like 
spend I mean really inordinate hours really long and hard hours on Twitter calling it an engineering project and one wonders where he's engineering it to he doesn't seem to see the site as as mainly a communication platform and sort of approaching it from that angle and has seems to have fired a lot of the teams that were engaged in cultivating specific types of conversations or content on the app so whether it survives or not might be a question of like which a server in a cupboard somewhere but uh, whether it survives in the way it used to I think that's probably very I mean that's not likely at this point. And the International Federation of Journalists president describes Twitter as this extension of a journalist's office a place where journalists promote their work they express ideas um, or find sources of information what are your thoughts on Twitter being this extension of newsrooms? I think that's how it's been for many journalists in practice. Um, it has been a way that people, I mean, it, it has been kind of this hub for uh, culture and news really for the, uh, you know, the last decade or so. Um, you know, I, I personally have, have like, it's responsible for my career in journalism. I, I don't feel like that's too much of an exaggeration to say, you know, I, I was working uh, when I first got into journalism, I was working in overnight radio and then I moved to a regional area. Um, and then all, all the while I was kind of outside of that, just doing some, some kind of like freelance stuff on, on the incident and, and tech beat. And just through doing that through, you know, making connections, just even tweeting about it. Um, that was kind of my pathway into the beat, which is now my full-time beat and, and really is responsible for my career. Um, so, I, you know, I personally use it to, uh, you know, tell people about the news that I've made. I use it to find out information. I use it to to find sources. And I kind of use it to, to cultivate, I guess, uh, an, an audience. And, and that goes beyond just like disseminating my um, the stuff that I've kind of written or other stuff that I find interesting, but to kind of create um, a community, which, you know, no, almost like in a way, like talkback radio. Um, so for all those reasons, it's been very um, crucial to me and, and similarly for other people, um, you know, sometimes that's for the worst, you know, that has been criticism. And I think sometimes fair that uh, a lot of journalists kind of rely on it um, for a understanding their audience and the Twitter audience isn't necessarily the same as their publications audience or even representative of the general public. And of course, there's the whole, um, you know, it, it does open up journalists who, who previously were kind of, you know, behind the firewall of a publication and now on the front line of audience feedback. Um, but, or, but, you know, for better or for worse, it has been a incredibly um, important tool and, and part of journalism for, for quite a while now. And, and I think it's interesting that Elon Musk, with his approach to this, you know, is kind of, you know, he was talking about the, the um, you, you know, like how blue check marks and, and giving them to more people would open up for citizen journalism. It's hard not to see him having uh, a desire to kind of erode the the value of Twitter almost for, for journalists um, with his, uh, with the changes that he's been bringing in. Right, I agree with Cam there too. I mean, Twitter has been a subject of immense tussle, I think, in journalism between journalistic, you know, employers, institutions and journalists because it has, uh, as Cam said, really allowed some journalists to build brands, build audience that gives them an, an edge of uh, independence, I suppose, from their publications and so, you know, we might hear from a lot of bosses at a lot of different publications. So you don't really need to be on Twitter or 
if there if there's Twitter abuse going on that you know just sign off and I think for younger journalists especially who have very few ways of getting into the industry these days it has been invaluable and to be clear that's really speaking to the Australian context and how Twitter is used in probably like you know the Australian UK US context in other countries Twitter has performed a kind of far more arguably powerful function um, because if in countries where media might be more tightly controlled by the government, Twitter has provided avenues for citizen journalists and journalists to uh, really um, broadcast and distribute work internationally. So, you know, we need to be clear too what type of journalism, which country we're talking about, because I think that a lot of people started pointing that out, these kind of these changes that are being made to Twitter and the undermining of it, arguably by Elon Musk, could have really serious consequences in countries where Twitter is a really important source of uh, independent news, uh, not just, um, you know, journalists attached to major broadcasters or major outlets with previous um, previously built platforms. Yeah, it's interesting how it's such a unique space within the media industry almost this little separate room for journalists to interact with each other and with the audience as well. Cam, you mentioned before that idea of um, journalists logging in and looking through their feed and getting a perspective on what's happening through looking at that feed and it might not necessarily match up with the their publisher's audience. Do you think journalists can sometimes get stuck in their own little sort of community Twitter community bubble when they're looking through that do you think by continuously looking through the Twitter news feed it influences the news cycle oh absolutely I mean look you don't you don't need to look any further than uh, Donald Trump to understand that you know there are people who understand that drawing the attention of Twitter is kind of a hack to drawing the attention of the world's news media. Um, and, and I definitely think that there are journalists out there, you know, including myself, who at times have fallen, um, you know, prey to the idea of focusing just on what they see in front of them, which is a Twitter feed, which is, you know, made up of the people they've chosen to follow. At the same time, I'd also kind of, you know, want to moderate that view as well and say that we all live in uh, our own bubbles. You know, the people who we talk with, the media that we consume is all, um, you know, that is all, you know, I guess a way of limiting the kind of views that we get. We, we, we aren't, you know, there's, there's no like perfectly reflective source of information about what everyone thinks. And so, sure. you know, Twitter is just one example of those. And, and, and I think that, you know, depending on how, for instance, you curate your feed, the people you choose to follow uh, and how you use that in conjunction with other sources of information, I think it is, it can be, and for me has been a very important part of getting information, particularly from from voices who, as Ariel kind of mentioned before, may not be represented in mainstream uh, outlets. You know, it can allow someone to to drive um, a, a public interest on a cause that they may not have gotten if they went through um, the traditional media. Obviously, the media has changed a lot over the last 20, 30 years. We've seen, um, you know, it's no longer as much of a gatekeeper. There's more diversity in that. And so that's kind of, you know, I guess, improved, I would say, the amount of voices that we do see through that. But even still, you know, Twitter can be, and, and like I said before, 
has been a tool for me to be able to, um, you know, get outside the, the the bubble that I personally live in. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I think I've been exposed to so many more voices than I would have otherwise on Twitter and definitely more than I am on other platforms, which are slightly more closed off, uh, you know, Facebook maybe or Instagram. On Twitter, there is a risk of groupthink. I think that'd be like one of the key criticisms lobbed at Twitter for journalists. You know, if you're really communicating and follow a lot of other journalists, you might be kind of limiting your takes to the kind of takes you're seeing from other people or the style or the sources they're using. Um, you might be uh, modulating what you're saying to avoid a pile-on or trolling. There's a lot of ways that Twitter can be detrimental, I think, to journalists and their output. But yes, at the same time, I think it has been really invaluable for me too to be exposed to a, a really broad range of different voices bringing ideas that I ha really had not seen before. I think like one example, I mean, I'm very interested and have reported quite a bit on, say, on disinformation of various sorts. And there was a movement a few years ago um, of Black feminists on Twitter talking about um, far-right threat using different hashtags to try and draw attention to the way that they had found um, far-right actors um, impersonating Black women and using um, Twitter to kind of push certain genders. I mean, it was really remarkable um, reporting and uh, sort of discovery from these academics and writers and that those were just voices that I really hadn't been exposed to before and that's just like one example of many where my worldview has been really opened up by content I've seen on Twitter because of course I'm following people but a lot of stuff gets tweeted you know retweeted into my feed I have lists of certain topics different academics different news outlets there's a lot of ways that your kind of blinkers can be um, moved aside by Twitter too. Absolutely. The idea of having it as a bubble, but it also can widen um, the voices that you hear. Now, news gathering is one way that Twitter is used by journalists. And to quote tweets from politicians, celebrities, which are authenticated by that blue tick. Now, with Musk's um, changes to the blue tick, do you believe journalists will go through that fact-checking process to see if this is the real person or will they simply go elsewhere? What's the impact of that choice? Um, Cam, I'll go to you. So opening up the blue tick, um, I mean, it just makes everything a little bit harder, right? I, I think that, it, you know, that change by itself won't entirely drive everyone off the platform. People will take the effort to see, well, is this person verified because they are a... a you know, were they the kind of old blue tick level of verified, you know, they are a public figure or have they stumped up US $8 a month? People will check, but also people will get fooled as well. And and I think, you know, for me, the, the, it's less important maybe for journalists who, you know, have maybe a bit more time to think about this stuff and hopefully, um, you know, processes to, to make sure that they're not fooled when they're, you know, publishing something versus the public who, you know, when they see something like that, when they see a blue tick, when they may not be as um, well acquainted with the platform, you know, they're more likely to be um, tricked by it. 
as for whether, you know, this means that people will kind of entirely move off the platform, particularly journalists, you know, the thing that I still think is that there is so much equity that journalists have on this platform. And by that, I mean, like, you know, many of them have extensive followings. It is important to both them being able to share their information, to be able to be seen as a professional journalist, that they will be reticent to to leave. And the platform's mechanics itself still aren't really replicated anywhere else. You know, it is a platform that is, you know, custom made or at least, you know, designed to allow the quick facilitation of information to spread quickly. Uh, and, and, you know, there's these alternatives like Mastodon, but that's kind of actually constructing a way to make, you know, quick, uh, quick information traveling. Actually, it's, it's tries to stop that. It's kind of more, has more friction, you know, Facebook and TikTok and Instagram, they all kind of have in uh, platform incentives uh, that go different ways. And so, you know, even as we see, you know, people be able uh, like, uh, you know, I guess find it harder to understand whether information is real or on the platform. I still think that the platform without drastic changes it remains the home for that content. Um, I guess just the question is, will there be enough of an exodus? Will enough people leave? Will enough people be fooled that eventually there's, you know, it gets to a tipping point and more and more people leave. And then you no longer have that network effect. You know, people say, well, not everyone's on there. So I'll look elsewhere. You're listening to fourth estate on the community radio network. I'm joined by Crikey's Cam Wilson and ABCRN's Ariel Bogle. And this week, we're talking about the connection journalists and the media industry have with Twitter. And Ariel, is there any benefit of the events happening now, of Twitter falling apart for the media? Um, that's an interesting question. I, you know, <laughs> um, maybe it shakes us out of a bit of complacency, Uh for, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think there certainly is a sort of stasis around Twitter journalism. Journalists have put a lot of time and effort into the platform, some journalists, I mean, and I do think there is always a benefit in waking up a little bit to the fact that you're building a livelihood on a platform that owes you nothing, you know, that you have no ownership over whatsoever. And it's a really interesting dynamic on Twitter too. This, I saw a lot of people tweeting about the time Elon Musk announced the $8 um, Twitter blue verification program that, well, look, Twitter should be paying me. I create the content that keeps people on the platform. Um, and that sentiment is quite an interesting one. And there's something to, think about there but at the end of the day we've all spent a lot of time effort and ideas on a platform that's was once public and now is privately owned by a um sort of a complex man if we want for want of a better way to put it so <laughs> that's understanding it, it. <laughs> yeah definitely well yes yeah, so I, I think it does encourage us to think are there ways that we can have a closer relationship with our audience that doesn't need to be mediated by these platforms that are owned by people that have no, that owe us nothing. And I really do not have a good answer there because there's no real replacement. You know, even if you build an audience on another platform, LinkedIn, Facebook, the same problem remains. If those companies change this, the way they function, if the ownership changes, if they're no longer interested in journalism, which Facebook seems to be um, unwinding its interest in journalism yet again, we keep going up and through ups and downs with that company too. Even, you know, at the end of the day, um, the platforms we use to do traditional um, 
sort of media distribution are pretty temperamental also. So I think it's a long struggle for journalism and Twitter is just one sort of bump in the road there. And Cam, do you believe there are any benefits to um, Twitter falling apart for the media? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe it'll free up some of my time to do some more reporting. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I like you know. I mean, it's pretty clear that both Errol and I uh, use it a lot and have found it very useful. And I'm, I guess, I'm trying to think from the perspective of maybe someone who uh you know isn't as so much of a i guess a booster of it you know i guess one of the big issues has been that it has opened up a lot of people to direct audience interaction um you know my background is in radio and so i've always loved the um you know having that kind of feedback loop between your audience who can call you up and tell you what they think and that informs and that kind of that informs what you do um, and, and Twitter for me, I guess that's probably always why I've taken to it so much because it, it's that replicated, but online, um, but not every, everyone likes that. Um, and, you know, not only has it kind of opened up to a lot of people to abuse, but also, you know, maybe quite cynically, I, I ask whether it has also contributed to, uh, I guess, changing understanding of journalists and, you know, journalists uh, are quite pally often on Twitter with each other, you know, they tweet about themselves and, and maybe sometimes that's actually not a great thing. You know, it's, it's easy to tweet off a, a half-baked uh, opinion or speculation that can kind of, you know, maybe if, if you're being really critical about it, undermine people's faith um, in you. Now, I guess the flip side of that again, sorry, and I'm flip-flopping back and forth, but is that, you know, traditionally we, we've, we had this very, um, you know, there, there was, a, I guess, quite a stilted understanding of who journalists were and this idea that they, you know, this, uh, I guess, drive for objectivity. And so as a result, that kind of denied journalists, uh, at least publicly, much of this sense of humanity, like, you know, and, and that has been changed by the fact, well, if you see them on Twitter, you then know who they are, and then you kind of see their flaws. So I guess, you know, the roundabout way of saying is like, it has shown journalists uh, and sometimes they're bad habits and, and maybe that will kind of curtail them when it's, you know, a little bit harder to publish things uh, that will mean that they would, instead of, you know, tweeting off something, would go through their editors, would be talked out of something um, instead of just, you know, going guns blazing. One of the other criticisms that gets sort of levelled often at Twitter in journalism is that journalists are just finding their sources on Twitter. And uh, there's some something fair to that if you were sourcing your stories, whether it be getting tips or, um, you know, finding case studies only through Twitter, I do think that would be a problem. But I don't really know, and maybe I, maybe there are journalists out there doing that, but I think it's sort of a bit of a straw man. I don't think many journalists are only using Twitter to find those kinds of tips and sources Instead, I see Twitter as just one entry of many I can think of, um, for example, reporting on the latest cryptocurrency collapse on Friday, looking for people who had money caught up in the, um, the FTX collapse. I definitely use Twitter to some extent because a lot of the customers of that exchange were on Twitter tweeting at the company. So it was a great way to sort of um, get in touch with people. But I was looking at all the platforms, um, calling all everyone I knew, using Discord, using Facebook, um, using all the platforms to find those sources. So, you know, it's complex. I think often Twitter can be seen as kind of the tip of the iceberg, but 
a good journalist, and I'm sure most do, would be looking um, at the kind of what's below the surface too, because these conversations that are happening on Twitter are really isolated to Twitter, um, despite the kind of perception of how the platform works. And you mentioned they're contacting sources through Twitter. People are already reporting that they're seeing much more spam in their DMs. With massive staff cuts, is it even a safe place anymore to talk to a source? No one, no. <laughs> well, uh, especially if you're reporting on Twitter, please don't use Twitter DMs. Um, that would be unwise, I believe. Well, the thing is, Twitter DMs were never that safe to begin with. Uh, there was a scandal a few years ago where um, it was exposed that um, I believe it was twi- Twitter employees linked to the Saudi Arabian government, um, correct me if I'm wrong there, were um, potentially extracting data from Twitter about activists. Um, in their home country and so Twitter DMs I think any we've all been fooling ourselves if we thought that was a infinitely secure way of getting in touch with a source or a journalist but hopefully it was often the beginning of the conversation and a place where you could move on from at the moment with the, the lack of staffing and engineering staff at Twitter I would be quite nervous about the security of Twitter data in any form at the moment yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, yeah, so it it was a I think a, a former Saudi spy who was uh, working in Twitter who kind of was involved in that. But I mean, look, you know, even with the, with the technical um, kind of breakdown of Twitter, who's to say that they don't get uh, inadvertently exposed or that they don't uh, get unvulnerable uh, to a hack? Or look, you know, God forbid, like when uh, you know Elon Musk under a lot of financial pressure figure out a way to somehow monetize that. So yeah, it, it is a less and less um, safe space for that. I mean, look, you know, I guess I, I've, I've definitely had chats with sources on it uh, before this. And I think, you know, with many things probably not involving Twitter that aren't, you know, super um, high, uh, you know, uh, like very, very sensitive. I mean, it's probably fine, but I guess, you know, this, uh, as Ariel was saying before, just reminds us about the kind of vulnerability of being stuck on one of these um, platforms. And when it is in private hands, there really are no kind of rules around it. They can kind of do whatever. Uh, And I guess that's something you need to keep in mind. And we've seen people recently migrating away from Twitter to alternatives like Mastodon. What's your take on this? Is building a Twitter 2.0 beneficial or is it virtue signaling by people who strangely seem to be still mainly on Twitter? I I mean, look, Mastodon has been around for a while and although it is in many ways similar to Twitter in that it is, you know, primarily a short um, uh, text, uh, uh, I guess, message, social media platform with, with some... Uh, image. I don't think it can actually do video, and it, it is kind of fundamentally different. But you know, re- really, for for most people using that, look at it and say this feels pretty familiar. But it is constructed in a way that's the opposite to Twitter, in that it, it tries to almost slow the spread of information down, primarily through the fact that it doesn't have things like quote tweets. So you know, very often people would share information and add their own little bit of flavor on it. Just without that, and it might seem like a, a minor issue, I think, you know, the end result of it is that it's a platform that's not set up in the same way. I don't think it's it's necessarily virtue signaling. I just don't think it, it is quite the same as Twitter. And so I think, say, Twitter turned off tomorrow. I'm, I'm not really sure where, where journalists would kind of find their new home. Um, 
particularly because Mastodon is just not very popular at the moment. Um, I, I think, and I think that's partly the reason why, even with all these changes on the platform, even with, you know, Twitter's new owner pretty much out there besmirching journalists and doing everything he can to undermine faith in them. I think a lot of them will kind of hang onto the platform until the very end. Yeah, I think definitely there's like a death grip going on to Twitter because it really isn't a good replacement. And Mastodon is not really a replacement, wasn't built to be. I think there's a bit of, a lot of people moving over there are in for a bit of a rude awakening potentially um, if they're hoping to replicate Twitter's function. And I think journalists, some journalists could succeed on other platforms and many already do thrive there, but it's it's more particular subject matter. I think Twitter really was a boost for journalists and sort of um, reporting on politics or technology like Cam and I do, business economics. Um, of course, there's a lot of different sub-communities on Twitter that we're not really talking about right now too, but there are different types of journalism that thrive on TikTok or on Instagram. But if you're looking to drive people to actually click through to your article or watch your video, there's really not a replacement for Twitter right now. Do you know, the, the, probably the closest thing to it, I'd actually say, is Substack, which is the um, newsletter service that's kind of, that is its own company. And Twitter has a version, although I think Elon Musk said he was shutting it down. But yeah, the, the, the idea of um, Substack, which is for sending out newsletters, but has also kind of opened up, uh, for instance, a kind of chat service as well. I think they're kind of positioning themselves to be uh, post Twitter, the, the, the place that maybe journalists would live. But again, you know, that's a very different um, format. And, you know, we see through time and time again, that even minor differences in, you know, user experience, the way that uh, platform incentives are, are set up drastically changes the kinds of behaviors you get on there. And as a result, you know, what kind of people make it their social media home? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, Substack is great. I subscribe to like quite a few from different journalists but because you need to sort of get onto a schedule, I suppose, you owe your audience a weekly newsletter or a couple of times a week, it is hard to do uh, sort of in-depth reporting there. Sometimes, you know, some people are um, advancing the model. I can think maybe of um, platformer Casey Newton's technology newsletter, where he does have, I think, a, a staff member now, and they are doing a lot of pretty deep reporting on the Twitter crisis, um, for example. But a lot of substacks are a kind of take and link kind of content. And it's hard to get that more support you need to do in-depth reporting when you have to put out a newsletter each week without institutional support. So it's it's a complicated one. I think it's hard too with um, a lot of journalists who might be contemplating building a substack. I think, I mean, we can, you have a newsletter, you can tell us like, is it hard to uh, you know, think of enough stuff to put in it. I think that would be my challenge. Whereas Twitter, you can, you know, shoot off a tweet and a link, but filling a newsletter that you think will keep people engaged and scrolling all the way to the bottom and subscribing to is a, is a bit of a different beast, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> As someone who does have a newsletter, it's uh, frequently a pain in my backside when I've got to do it and I'm trying to report out stuff. By the way, you should subscribe to it. Um, it's, uh, but I guess the reason why I thought of it as the spiritual successor is that 
it is a platform that is primarily kind of set up for that, I guess, factual information by building an audience, often by sharing, you know, not just your own reporting, but also other people's reporting. It is kind of a way to do that. It is very different. You can't just send off like an email with, uh, you know, 280 characters. I think people would get pretty pissed off about that. But, um, you know, maybe if Twitter went down today, I think a lot of people might see that maybe Substack is their way to try and have something like a Twitter account, even though that, you know, like I said before, Mastodon might seem closer to it. Uh, I actually think Substack is more of a natural, or, or other newsletters are more of a natural home. I agree, but how will you promote your Substack without Twitter? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great question. question. <laughs> uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> so I want to end with this question. J.R. Hennessy's um, put out an opinion piece in The Guardian recently and states that we're staring down the barrel of a genuinely destabilizing event for journalism, the latest in a long line of such events, and stated that with Twitter being the background frequency for the industry for a decade, it's hard to imagine something replacing it. So my question to both of you quickly is, could a Twitter-free media industry really be this bleak? It's an interesting question, I think, I'd have to give it some thought. I mean, I do think it's a little bleak in that it will make discoverability if we're just looking primarily at the journalism industry and how people get jobs and how people, you know, get ex- get exposure. There is not a good replacement and it does worry me a little bit if Twitter does collapse that a lot of young journalists in a very constricted market like Australia where there are so few entry-level jobs and so few ongoing jobs that without Twitter to promote and engage with other journalists to get your work in front of editors, that it it will be harder to find pathways into the industry. And that really does worry me. Yeah. And and, and adding to that, I also think that, you know, Twitter has done a lot in terms of linking up different um, countries, uh, media industries and, and people learning from each other. You know, I would say like a couple of years back, um, you'd probably hear more Australian journalists talking about how it felt like Australian media was behind some of the conventions of other international, more mature, or at least, I guess, bigger markets. Um, and, I, and I think something like Twitter has been able to help close that gap because, you know, other journalists' work from any other country is available. It's allowed a lot of knowledge share, um, which I think is overly beneficial. You know, there, there are kind of the, the downsides that we mentioned before of, in a way, Twitter sometimes becoming like an assignment editor, you know, dictating what a lot of media sources are, um, you know, leading with. And I, and I think, you know, maybe there's some benefit if, if that changes, you know, I guess diversifying um, some people's, uh, I guess diversifying where people are getting the information. Because I think, you know, like we said before, there are definitely um, a lot of journalists who rely on it. I, th- I think like pretty similar to what Ariel was saying, it's not going to tear the industry apart, but it is a great connector. And without those connections, you're going to lose many of the benefits that come from that. And on that note, I'd like to thank Cam Wilson and Ariel Vogel for being on Fourth Estate. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app 
so you can hear us talk about media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is FourthEstateAU. Thanks to our executive producer, Anthony Dockrell. I'm Marlene Even. Thanks for listening. <laughs>